Good morning, everybody. This is Taylor over here at the Clericsware Ringmail Podcast, welcoming you back from the pilot to the first episode of the new year. This episode is being brought to you from the car on the way to Publix, picking up some electrolyte and hydration supplies for my wife, who has officially gone into the second stage of the third trimester. One interesting side effect of being in that particular stage is that there are a lot more unexpected hiccups, surprises, and other draws on a husband's time as caretaker, but um, that leads us into the purpose of this segment, which is, I think this is a pretty good time to do a sort of state of the project. started the blog in 2019, right around my boy's first birthday, as a creative outlet and an online notebook that is somewhere that was automatically backed up and I wouldn't lose it for stuff that I thought was neat. Sort of an archive for when I was going to start gaming again, and I could use it. The podcast, very much the same motivation. I was listening to a lot of podcasts, I was calling in to a lot of podcasts, and I figured it's a pain in the butt to try to record one minute at a time, so I'll go ahead and give it a shot myself. Downloaded Audacity, and it's really not too bad. Through 2021, I was able to get out 14 episodes of the podcast, probably two-thirds of which were me yammering on about things I thought were neat, and then the rest of it was other folks calling in to give their thoughts, opinions, and experiences. On the blog side, I was able to get out something at least once a week. I got to celebrate my 100th post. That was fun. And moreover, I started getting a bunch of comments on blog posts or some engagement on Discord for ideas I'd put forward. And I got to take some of those comments and ideas and incorporate them into what I was doing. Uh, Credit given, of course. But at the end of the day, knowing that both of these projects were effectively masturbatory and it's it's the coolest thing in the universe for me that other folk are interested in what I have to say are willing to listen or willing to read or even better willing to use some of the resources I put out there so to start off 2022 I want to say thank you listeners and thank you readers for validating my decision to spend so much time dumping stuff Where are we? Well, we had our first hospital visit in the middle of the night last week. My wife was showing signs of preterm labor, so we called her doctor. We couldn't get it under control, and we went into the hospital. I had to call my step-grandmother. She drove out at 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night, and sat with the boys until 2 in the morning when we got home. While we haven't had stuff that's that dramatic for other parts of the pregnancy. It's um, 
pretty consistent in terms of the stress level that this is putting on me for the third trimester. I get up early and pop online to my job at no later than 4.30, try to get my hours in before the twins wake up. My wife, uh, I let her sleep as late as she can because she needs it. Um, and then when she gets up, she'll watch the boys until she has to lie down. That's usually around lunchtime, so I lose. I, for the for the longest time, I'd been losing like two hours in the middle of the day to that, but I was still able to get my day in. Lately, she's been having trouble getting back on her feet. It's just we're at that stage where you're gaining half a pound a pound every week, and so the growth is too much, and her body's having a hard time handling it. That's probably my fault for fathering large infants. Because I don't get to exercise like I want to, I've gained 25 pounds. I've officially crossed back into the threshold of obese for my uh, for my height. BMI is kind of funny. It uh, breaks down once you're over six feet tall, but I've got aches and pains that I didn't have before. My throat is acting up. I've got the acid reflux again that I had. I, I haven't had that for years, but I'm not here to throw myself a pity party. I just wanted to stress exactly how little time I have for gaming right now. So where does that put us? I had been erratic with the podcast. I'm probably going to continue to be erratic. Initially, I had hoped that I'd be able to do more podcasting. Recording the podcast is actually a little easier than coming up with a good blog post. Regarding the blog, it's very important to me, and I'm proud of myself for keeping a consistent cadence. I find that if I don't keep a consistent cadence, then I fall off. And as a reader, uh, I like it when I know when to expect a new message to come out. And as a writer, I like having that kind of goal. I like feeling, okay, this is my next milestone. And it's, it's a way for me to keep going. And I have to keep going. With that in mind, I'm probably going to be a little bit more sporadic on the blog. I may lose my cadence in weeks past where I haven't been able to stick to the cadence. I have put out a episode on Saturday to keep the cadence going. I will continue to try to do that, but like I said, I can't I can't make any guarantees. So bear with me, this too shall pass, because where are we going? The company where I work offers FMLA-protected paternity leave. That is, following the birth of a child, a dad may take a significant amount of paid time off to help take care of mom as she recovers and to help take care of the new baby. This is exciting for me. Now, keep in mind, anybody who has had a child 
will tell you that taking parental leave is not really leave at all. The only thing you want to leave is that newborn baby in a closet when it refuses to go to sleep. But I'm excited anyway. After having had twins, I anticipate that having one at a time will be a little gentler. I'm going to focus a little bit on my health, try to get my weight back under control, try to get the numbness in my left leg to go away, and I want to focus on getting a game running again. On the one hand, I've got weapons, wits, and wizardry. My attempt at a classless chainmail fantasy compatible with OSR design. I'm excited about that, but with the lack of time I've got, I haven't really been messing with it. I've got ideas for it, but I haven't been putting them to paper. So on the second hand, I could just run OD&D with chainmail. That would earn me an easy spot on the search optimization. When you search for chainmail actual plays, there aren't a lot of them. I will post them when I put when I play them, but it's that's not the goal. The point of the experience is to play, not to uh, get famous on the internet. Playing a game that is twice as old as most of the people watching it. Third option, reading through that old homebrew where the second grid initiative came from. I'm tempted to expand on that, truthfully. That was a, a design attempt on my part to create a tabletop action RPG, something that simulated the experience of playing a game like Diablo on the tabletop. Now, a lot of people will tell you that 3.5 was informed by those kind of games. So the Baldur's Gates of the time, the Neverwinter Nights of the time. But the thing about 3.5 is it's very slow and it's very build heavy. And the kind of game, all right, if they, if that was important, they will leave a voicemail. But yeah, where was I? 3.5 is a different beast. It's not a simple game, and it's not designed to be. So I'm tempted to put together CWR's famous faux brew and run a game that has OSR tone, but not necessarily mechanical compatibility. I don't want to get too ambitious, as I am putting in for a new posting at work which would be a promotion, but it would also come with some added responsibility. So I may have to get back into the whole learning new tech to keep up. And there's always the twins. The twins continue to be a responsibility, and they will be for a while. They're getting more self-sufficient, but it's, uh, it's still a lot, a lot of work. So for the short term, we have our limping along with the blog, um, continuing along with the podcast, and then for the long term, I'm not sure what to do. What would you prefer me to do? If you were joining in my games, if you were playing, or if you were watching the uh, actual play adventures, what would you prefer to play in? What would you prefer to watch? Question having been postulated, 
Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, here's to hoping 2022 is less interesting than 2021. And now, a word from our sponsor, without whom my visa would never have been approved. Tale of the Manticore. Are you looking for a D&D podcast for the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Hey, Taylor, this is Carl. Um, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Thanks for your podcast during this holiday season. It's been really fun. Thank you so much for that mini-venture. That looks really cool. And um, looks like it could be inserted in any in any uh, OSR, USR, D&D-E type game. So, um, yeah, pretty cool. Thank you, Carl, for the compliment on the adventure. Jason Hobbs, uh, over on his Discord, where I had shared that also, had commented, Good Vanilla, which I think is an apt descriptor of what I'm going for. And it's something that you can throw into any old game, and it's awesome. Uh, that the reason I the reason I put stuff up like that is so that folks will use it. So I love love hearing that, buddy. What I was gonna say, I have a couple of cleric anecdotes or stories. One is that I wonder, because of that stigma of being a heel bot, do you feel like there are players who play clerics, or players in general play clerics less because of that stigma? I don't know, I in some of my games or groups, uh, they always go, oh, wow, we don't have a cleric. Okay, so then they say, well, the first person who dies has to make a cleric. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a pretty interesting phenomenon, I think. Regarding the stigma of playing a cleric, I, I've played clerics for a while. I think my second or third, my first character that I played for any length of time was a dwarf. Uh, but then the second character that I played for any length of time was a cleric. Uh, they get the armor, they get the fighting capability. They're really not that subpar when it comes to melee compared to fighters. I've noticed that when I play one in most games, uh, the fighters tend to surround me and they try to put hirelings around me to protect me from the enemy. And, and I always find it funny, especially in, playing in Jason's game, because my cleric in his game has an armor class of minus one, as I seem to recall, and in BX that's not easy to do. And these fighters are piling around him to protect him when he's usually a better tank than they are. But don't tell them that. That's how he's gotten to level four. But I could, I could definitely see it. If they feel like they're going to have to live up to an expectation, then that may not align with what they want to play. Uh, these days, I tend to play whatever my stats tell me I should play. Uh, if I roll a high strength, I'll make a fighter. If I roll a high int, I'll make a magic user, that kind of deal. But the concept that you need to flesh out the party, I, I understand that. And I understand that not everybody wants to do the cleric deal. I think there are a lot of backgrounds and a lot of stories that you can write and tell for most of the classes, but especially in older editions, clerics, uh, and specifically 
in, in newer editions, Heelbot clerics, nobody writes those backgrounds. That's not the character that they want to play. I've never had problems with having a cleric in the party because either I'm playing one or somebody at the table does, but it is a, it is very curious. I would be interested to hear what everybody's favorite class is. Maybe I'll do a poll or something. The other thing is how it's not fun for a GM and this kind of, I feel, might have caused the downfall of a campaign that I was trying to run. So they're in this, the, the clerics are in this dungeon, a lot of them dead. They have a cleric who's pretty competent uh, at a good level and looking on the table, they automatically turn skeletons and zombies in this particular game. So I just said, well, this, this, the rest of this dungeon is going to be very easy. So my proposal is we'll just montage through what happens. I'll give you the treasure. We don't have to play out every single room where the cleric's going to stand there and blast away at the undead. And they said, yeah, that sounds good. So I did it. And then they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to play anymore. It ruined my immersion and verisimilitude. But you guys, that was a decision that you wanted. That's the decision that you made. Oh, well, maybe there are other reasons. Um, but that was the excuse. <clears throat> Yep, players never know what is good for them. They want the magic items up front. They want lots of loot that's easy to get. They want advancement super fast to get to the high levels to be badasses. But they, uh, people who do that, they don't necessarily understand that the journey is the experience. That the journey is in fact the destination. You can build a 20th level character and be all happy with it. You can come up with an advancement strategy and try to live through it. But it's not, it's not as much fun if you don't earn it. And that's something that players will occasionally do. If the player gets too powerful or too high level, then all of a sudden a big part of the game is gone. The challenge is gone. And, it, and it's very difficult for a referee to put together challenges appropriate to a super high-level party or a super, super empowered party like that without breaking the verisimilitude of the milieu. I feel for you. Uh, I learned this lesson the hard way too. As a player, of course. Jason here, Pona Norton. Daniel, I think that if we are ever going to be at a, the same convention, and I know it in advance, I'm going to bring my little radio flyer with me, at which point I will bribe you to sit in it, and uh, that way I can literally pull a Norton. So I'm cutting it off before Daniel talks about his OD&D and chainmail hack, but when you mention things people complain about, yeah, definitely. You need just you have to be smart when you play these older games. Now, one thing that's very different in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons from OD&D and some of the basic ones, you know, especially OD&D and its derivatives, like Delving Deeper is, in those games at fairly low levels, you can start making scrolls. In Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, it's a fairly high level you need to reach, and it's pretty expensive to create scrolls and create things. So you're not doing any of that is first, second level characters. 
and AD&D. But in OD&D, you kind of can. So it's kind of an interesting choice they made when they separated those two games. But, okay, let's go back and listen to what Daniel has. Oh, no, I do have something else to say. True regarding AD&D versus uh, BX OD&D, but in AD&D, you get more spells at first level, as I recall. The cleric in particular comes to mind, who goes from zero to like four, or I don't have my books on me, but the, the point is, in the AD&D sphere, you have spells to begin with, to be magical about, and then in the BX or OD&D interpretation, you don't necessarily have those spells implicit, but you have the ability to make up for it with the the less expensive consumables. Editor Taylor chiming in. I did check my books this morning and clerics get one spell at first level in AD&D and magic users also get one spell. Uh, what I don't have time to do, I don't have time to look at how many spells they get as they progress. I know the top level magic user gets seven of each level per day, something that does not exist in BX. And I know that AD&D has the concept of cantrips, which do not exist in BX. So, from here, call in about it. Do you, the listener, know more about AD&D than I do? The answer is yes, but do you want to call in about it? Only time will tell. Okay, so the other things, the age and the level thing, I mean, you... I don't know, that seems silly to me. And, well, I, I'm not worried about the complaints people have when they come to the game, because... I, I don't worry about that. But you mentioned Castle Ravenloft in the board game. So that was the year I went to Gen Con, was the year that introduced a buddy of mine and our kids, or actually two buddies of mine and our kids, rented a van. We, we went out there. We drove from Virginia to Indianapolis and went to Gen Con. And, and it was pretty great. But that, you know, whatever year they introduced the board game for Castle, Ra- Castle Ravenloft, that's the year we went to Gen Con. And it was a pretty cool experience, so I, I do think everybody should probably try to experience that once. Okay, now I'll go listen to what Daniel has to say. Very nice. That is a cool memory. I have a lot of friends who do conventions, or used to in college. I don't know what they do as much anymore. Um, since having children, I feel like I don't have, you know, friend friends. Yeah, I used to I used to have friends, and they used to go to these cons. I, I could never swing it financially, but one of these days, who knows? One of these days. So I think you brought up something interesting, the idea that, you know, why do we change the rules? And when it comes to D&D games and you look at house rules, typically it's because that's what the DM wants, right? It's not so much to benefit the players as it is to just tell the story the DM wants to tell, which I think is a mistake. I'm not saying you shouldn't have house rules, but I I think that coming to a game wanting to tell a story, a D&D game, is a mistake in the first place and then doing house rules to, to better make it more what you want is, you know, so we're going to cut this class out and do that and, and eliminate this ability and, you know, remove level limits and do whatever. You, I, I don't necessarily think that's benefiting anybody except the DM in that. And more and more, I appreciate rules as written games for D&D games, but that's just me. I am mostly on board with you here. This ties back to something I said earlier, kind of half-joking in response to Carl, where players don't know what's good for them. 
a lot of the time, <clears throat> uh, game masters don't know what's good for them either. To speak to the story, I agree. If you come to a D&D type game with the intent to tell a story, that's the wrong approach. D&D is a tool. Well, OSR games uh, are a tool to create a story. You come in with an idea and then that bounces off the players, or if you're a player, it bounces off the environment, and the decisions that you make, the decisions that occur at the table, produce the story that you tell. In that sense, absolutely, you don't want to come to the game table with a story to tell in mind, but that's not necessarily the goal of all house rules. When I house rule, or when I write up a new game, uh, which I've done several times, depends on whether you define house ruling until it's unrecognizable as a new game or not, but moot point. The important part, some game masters will change the rules so as to fit a certain tone, a certain atmosphere that they want to create. And I think that is what you're talking about when you're saying uh, creating the story. At the same time, other game masters, and this is probably two-thirds of why I house rule stuff, is to create a specific and desired experience. The most common thing that people like to house rule is magic. They like to get rid of Vancey and magic. Those are the people who either haven't read or haven't heard of any of the Dying Earth stuff, which is what the system is based on. And that or they just don't jive with it. And so when they change that, they take that element out of the game and they create an environment more suited to one, the fiction they want to emulate, where magic is more prolific, and two, the experience they want to emulate. They want to be able to cast spells uh, more than once a day. They want to be able to, uh, let's see, they want to be able to provide a constant uh, magical environment compared to the use that we'll say magic users tend to have, which is more, I know a lot of languages, uh, I have some excess carrying capacity, and as we discussed earlier, they should have some scrolls. And then to speak to not knowing what's good for you, the thing about raw, raw is typically playtested. And house rules, by definition, when you cite one, it's you're entering into playtest right now. You're playing with it for the first time, or the first round, so to speak, of, of a house rule whenever you create one. For that reason, a, a rules is written game, that's gonna have a little more consistency. And so before you make changes to a game, it's very important to understand what's up with that. To harken back to the Vancey and spellcasting, adventures, supplements, and other resources for the D&D type game assume the Vancean spellcasting system. And I'm not a fan of Vancean spellcasting. I have some other stuff I like, but that's not the point. Playing a D&D type game, all of your resources are going to assume that Vancean system. So when you make a house rule to change it, you're going to have to consider how it impacts the game down the line. Some folks do it very masterfully. Uh, a lot of games work really well that don't have Vancean spellcasting, while at the same time, some games do it very poorly, and spellcasters become either totally gimp or totally OP. A sort of Chesterton's fence argument. Uh, before changing anything, I think playing raw 
at least once or twice is prudent. In so doing, you'll figure out what the rule is there for in the first place. Then, once the aspiring house ruler is confident and comfortable with the workings of the system, then they can start changing out the parts. It's just like working on a car. You may want to get more horsepower out of your fuel injection system, but until you understand which hose is the one the fuel is coming from, you probably don't want to be taking any of your CAD designs to the machinist. That's a true story, actually. A buddy of mine down in Melbourne actually designed a fuel injection system for his car that worked better. But anyway, that's the key. Know what you're working with and then improve it. And, and this is key, understand that not all tables are the same and as such, not all house rules are appropriate for all houses. Enjoy your gaming, my man. I'm excited for you and for the play recaps that you're doing. That is, of course, dear listeners, Jason of the Nerds Variety Cast. As far as religion and games and deities, yeah, I much prefer to use the either deities and demigods. I'm fine using other pantheons, you, you know, from, from human history, although I can see where that could be problematic these days. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of using Christianity as a religion in a game. And that's probably because, you know, I am a Christian. And, and I just don't think it mixes with RPGs. I, I don't think you can do that without potentially being disrespectful at some point. So I, I think it's better just leave Christianity out of the game. I, I know that makes me an oddball in a lot of circles. And there are a lot of people who want to do that so they can poke fun at Christianity because that's popular. But that's not really my bag, to be honest. Um, and I, I admit the potential problems there when I'm using Greek gods in the games instead. But that's just how I roll. Believe it or not, you actually called in a while back with a message similar to this one. I was saving it. Uh, I hadn't responded to it yet because I wanted to get a special guest in on the show to help me tackle the question, but that hasn't happened yet because, uh, life. That notwithstanding, I'll take a quick stab and say that I do agree with you wholeheartedly. To accurately and faithfully recreate the message from a Christian context, it doesn't fit the D&D theme. It doesn't fit the D&D game. You can kind of force the archetype by recreating a sort of papal states kind of setup, but that kind of for-profit Christianity, that's not faithful to the message. And, like you said, it's not worth it. If you want to recreate the real Christian experience, uh, and I say this uh, based on the experiences of friends and family who have gone on mission, do a carpentry sim, do a smithing sim, where you know you go to play, you go to places that are underprivileged and build houses, repair facilities, feed the feed the hungry, all that fun stuff, because that's what that's what real field Christians do just speaking purely from experience. And at the end of the day, if you're going to role play being a good person to other humans, why not just do it in real life? I guarantee that there is something near to where you are that will accept your help with no cost to you. And that's not you, Jason. That's you, the generic purpose listener. Anyway, I'm going into a sort of a rant, so I'll move back into the main topic. Now, 
talking about real-world defunct religions. I will steal from those all day long, but I will not use them. Because if you're going to have people who know a lot about those cultures, and when you use something incorrectly, they're going to try to call you on it. And I don't know if that necessarily hits everybody like it hits me, but I get really self-conscious. I want to be at least vaguely correct in my presentation. I just don't have the time to do that kind of research anymore. Plus, you don't necessarily want every aspect uh, of every deity. Uh, you want a pantheon that fits the tone of the game you want to play. So when you pick and when you pick and choose, when you mix and match, and you create this artificial milieu, it works. It, it makes your game better. To that end, would I use Zeus, uh, who we can argue is chaotic good or chaotic neutral? When really the argument is moot because he's lawful neutral. Uh, he's lawful because, in a Hellenic sense, law and chaos represented the gods versus the primordial titans in a similar parallel to the agricultural revolution and the rise of city-states. But, again, not worth it. Because, instead of having that argument at session zero, we can instead have Seus. It's Zeus, backwards. Fuck yeah! He's the god of throwing lightning bolts and babes. So that's a cleric I can get behind. Thank you, Jason, for calling in and giving me probably two-thirds of the content from this episode. Thank you, Carl, for calling in again and giving me those anecdotes and stories. I truly do appreciate and enjoy listening to the folks who listen to me. That is about all I have to say about that for today. I'm sitting here editing this episode uh, on the first Saturday where I haven't pushed content uh, since the decision to publish on Saturdays, so I guess I was right. I have missed the cadence, but I do believe and I, at least I do hope, that you'll forgive me this time. It is 13 days past the timestamp Anchor gave me for when I started working on this episode. I've been a bit of a long haul in the making. In any case, we had our second labor and delivery trip last night. Got home around midnight, so we got a break in that regard, but it's, uh, it's a long road to where we're going, but I know that we'll get there. A little nervous about asking for feedback, trying to get a game running, because then I'd feel obligated to actually do it, and it took me like two years after the boys were born. <laughs> but in any case, again, going to be optimistic. The time to come is easier than the time I'm in. With that, I will turn it over to the theme. Oh, and I do have some new theme music. Hope you all like it. The new theme is taken from mixkit.co, used under their royalty-free music license. The artist is Michael Ramir C., and the song is called Cold Coffee. I will have a official new legalese blurb next episode. I'm not going to spend any more time on this one, but I'll get my act together by then. Sound effects used in the podcast are, again, mixkit.co, used under the Mixkit free license. It's a great resource for anybody doing a podcast or YouTube. I encourage you to head over there and check it out. And between now 
and when I talk to you next, Del Vaughn. Yeah.